Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. Today we're going to talk more about the crimes of Myra Hindley and Ian Brady in part two of The Moors Murderers. So just a quick side note to start, our Instagram handle is at the crime pod underscore. So we had to make a new one since the last <laughs> time because I'm pretty inept when it comes to yes. Instagram. I do prefer Twitter, just saying. But bear with us while we get up to date with all the posts. We'll pop up, you know, photos of the murderers and victims, etc. But just say it's gone underscore at the end. So follow us, please. <laughs> yes, please. We've actually had like quite a lot of followers so far. We've had like people message and stuff, which has been lovely. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. And you can recommend anything that you want us to chat about as well. Or you can tell us to be quiet. Each to their own. <laughs> yeah. Probably the second. Yep. <laughs> so now we got to the point last week where you were telling us that the police had been called after David Smith called mm-hmm. them obviously so which was Myra's brother-in-law and Ian Brady gave the police the key to their locked spare bedroom so I'll just take on from there and have a chat and we'll see where it goes let's go great so early in the morning of the 7th of October 1965 after the police had gotten into the spare bedroom they returned back into the living room to meet up with Myra and Ian and they said that they had discovered a dead body tied up and that Ian was being arrested on suspicion of murder. Ian went, he got dressed, and whilst getting dressed, before, you know, going to the police station, he said, Eddie and I had a row, and the situation got out of hand. And then off he went, he was arrested. Myra wasn't arrested with Ian, but she Mm -hmm. demanded to go with him to the police station, accompanied by her dog, Puppet, to which the police, they said, yeah, no problem, come along. But she was questioned about the events, obviously, because, you know, she was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I'm glad they're at least asking her some questions. <laughs> uh-huh. So she was, um, she was questioned about Edward's death, but she refused to make any statements beyond claiming that there had been an accident. So she never said anything. She never even was like, oh, yeah, no, it was, it was Ian, he murdered her. Nothing like that. So yeah, as the police had no evidence that Myra was even involved in Edward's murder, it's not like... Ian was saying oh no it was all her and they were blaming each other they had zero evidence but they just took her in to question her she was allowed to go home on the condition wow. on the condition that she returned the next day for further questioning so it's so crazy how like back then that's okay whereas now you'd be held yeah for like, imagine just being like hours. promise you'll come back in the morning yes yeah, like, hey, I'm just gonna get my passport and I'll be away <laughs> yeah I promise I'll be back I'm fleeing the country <laughs> yeah so like we said, she was at liberty for the next four days. She hadn't been arrested. And during this time, she went to her employer. So you know how they work together. Mm-hmm. And she asked to be dismissed so that she could be eligible for unemployment benefits. So you know, she's good. getting her priorities proper straight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. Um, and while in the office, she found some papers belonging to Ian, but they were in an envelope that she claimed she hadn't opened but right. she burned them in an ashtray and she believed that they were plans for bank robberies and nothing to do with the murders. Okay, so you have to believe her, obviously. Yeah, now, yeah, of course. <laughs> on the 11th of October, 1965, Myra was charged 
as an accessory to the murder of Edward Evans. And she was then remanded at Risley Prison so with Ian. So four days later, she was arrested. Now, Ian admitted under police questioning that he and Edward had fought, but insisted that he and David, David Smith, you know, Myra's yeah, brother-in-law, yeah, yeah. had murdered Edward between them. Myra, he said, had only done what she had been told. Right. This is Ian sticking up for Myra, but trying to kind of throw the blame on David. And at the same time, David had told the police that Ian and Myra had hidden evidence in two suitcases stored in a left luggage office somewhere in Manchester. So he was completely saying, this has got nothing to do with me. But, like you said in the first episode, David wasn't just an innocent golden boy. He had a record. Albeit it wasn't for murdering. But Yeah, it's not murder, but still, he's not, like, squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. So why, why should, you know, it's kind of like a two against one situation. Why should the police just believe everything that David's saying when he's already a criminal? But with this information that he gave the police, the British Transport Police were asked to search all of Manchester stations. And on the 15th of October, so another four days after they had been arrested, mm-hmm. they found what they were looking for. Because the police later found the left luggage ticket in the back of Myra's prayer book. So they could locate, obviously, where the luggage had been left. Right, okay. Inside one of the cases were nine pornographic photographs taken of a young girl, naked, and with a scarf tied across her mouth. Jeez. And there was also a 13-minute tape recording of her screaming and pleading for help. Now, in this video, they also heard background voices of a male and a female, which later on they figured out was Myra and Ian. So this is great. This is kind of, you know... Well, it's not great. <laughs> this is great for David. Right. You know. No this is else. evidence to corroborate David's story, you mean? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. It's not great news at all. So I'm going to go through the events of just while they were reprimanded in prison, waiting to be mm-hmm. charged fully. The police were obviously searching their house. So while searching the house at Wardle Brook Avenue, they also found an old exercise book and the name John Kilbride had been scribbled inside oh yeah so there we've got another victim's name now obviously when they first got arrested they they just thought it was for edward but the police now think there's a missing girl and they've got a missing boy on their records called john cobride and now they've matched them up yeah like all of this evidence just coming forward Mm -hmm. like they're not even like looking for it you know no they're just coming upon it and this is what's making the police really suspicious that they both have been involved in the unsolved disappearances of other young children because you know there's five of them that have gone mm-hmm. missing well mm-hmm. that have been murdered so this could be great it could be all of them well, solved yeah well they only know they're missing because I don't think they had any of their bodies did they no they haven't so a large collection of photographs were discovered in the house and many of them looked to have been taken on Saddleworth Moor so to you and I who know the story, great, found them all, you know, all these photos mm-hmm. of them all, of Myra and Ian, and not even with their victims, just them two on the mirrors. Yeah, yeah. So 150 police officers were drafted to search the moor, and they were looking for locations that matched the photographs. And obviously it's the moors, it's really hard. To yeah, they all look, that looks the same. Can you imagine? 
Mm-hmm. I, oh, it's like finding a needle in a haystack in a way. Yeah, no, for sure. And so I read that initially the search was concentrated through, so one of the A roads, so it was the A628, which is near Woodhead. Mm-hmm. But a close neighbour, so just a few doors up, was an 11-year-old Pat Hodges. And on several occasions, Myra and Ian had actually taken her to the moors. So right. this was a neighbour, 11 years old, still alive, might I add, completely Whoa. alive. They didn't kill her, but they felt sorry for her. Right. You know, I, I don't know if they felt like, oh, she's alone, she doesn't have many friends. We, we'll, we'll kind of take her as one of our own. And they took strange. her. Yeah, they took her to the moors all the time, but they never That's so killed weird. her. Mhm. I, I wonder how she feels, eh? It must be crazy, like to think. Yeah, like imagine knowing that night, you'd feel so weird. That'd be like your story at a party. Oh, I used to hang out with two serial killers. You know what I mean? They yeah, used to babysit geez. me. There, uh, there's my granddad again. Yep, that's, I know that is a great story. <laughs> um, so because of, obviously, 11-year-old Pat Hodges, she was able to point out their favourite sites along the road. The mirrors, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that must have been a big help. I guess Ian and Myra must be thinking, shit, we should have killed her because of this. But anyway, they didn't. So she was a good help to them as well. But on the 16th of October... We're in 1965, by the way. Sorry. Thank you. The police found an arm bone sticking out of the peat, which is, you know, the type of grass and mushiness of the moors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the officers, they presumed that they'd found the body of John Kilbride because, you know, the, the, the book had his name in it. Yeah, yeah. But they soon discovered that the body was that of Leslie and Downey. So you can link both of them together. I've just mentioned a tape of a screaming girl. And now they found a, a missing girl's body. So Anne Downey, which was Leslie Ann's mum, she had been on the moor watching as the police conducted their search oh, because, you know, there was always that chance her daughter's missing it might actually be her. But thankfully she wasn't present when the body was found. She was shown clothing that was recovered from the grave and it was identified as belonging to Leslie Ann, her missing daughter. Now, Anne Downey later listened to the tape after police had discovered the body of her 10-year-old daughter and she confirmed it was a recording of her daughter's voice. Jesus. So she had to watch a 13-minute tape recording of her daughter screaming. In watch fact, it, she? she had to listen to a 13-minute tape of her daughter before she died. That's horrendous, isn't it? It's crazy. Now, detectives were able to locate another site on the opposite side of the A road from where Leslie Ann's body was discovered. And five mm-hmm. days later, they found the badly decomposed body of John Kilbride. And they identified him through his clothing. Now, that same day, already being held for the murder of Edward, mm-hmm. Ian and Myra, they had appeared at the Hyde Magistrates Court and they were being charged with Leslie Ann Downey's murder. So within days, they've been charged of Edward, Leslie, and now... John Kilbride. So right. each of them were brought to the court separately. They were, you know, they weren't together or anything like that. They made a two-minute appearance a few days later, but they remained in custody. You know, they they weren't getting out after this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like at the start where Myra could go home and, you know, burn documents. Now, the search for bodies continued because, you know, 
they've not admitted to killing loads of folk, but they're yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, and it kind of it looks the the odds are high, you know, they've already found three, so there's probably going to be more, but with winter coming in in November 1965, they kind of put it to a halt because it was the the weather conditions are awful and the moors trying to search them in the snow and the wind and the rain it just it wasn't going to happen but presented with the evidence of the tape recording ian then admitted to taking the photographs of leslie ann downey but he kept insisting that she had been brought to their house by two men who had subsequently taken her away again alive so one story he says that but then a different story, he also says that David Smith had taken her to their house and then taken him away, taken her away again. Okay. So, you know, this is him still trying to push the blame on everyone else but himself. But on the 2nd of December 1965, both of them had been charged with the murder of John Kilbride and Edward, Edward Evans. OK, now mm-hmm. at the committal hearing on the 6th of December 1965, Ian was charged with the murder of Edward Evans, John Kilbride mm-hmm. and Leslie Ann Downey. Myra was convicted of the murders of Edward Evans, Leslie Ann Downey, but she was then convicted of harbouring Ian in the knowledge that he had killed John Kilbride. So she wasn't getting charged for his murder. Right. Because of this, obviously, this is huge in the news. The, the media is going crazy. The, the whole of the UK are going crazy. And at this hearing, the prosecution's opening statement that was held, that was on camera, but the defence asked for theirs to be on camera as well, but it was completely refused. Oh. Which is crazy. I, I don't understand how that was allowed, but anyway. The proceedings, they continued in front of three magistrates for an 11-day period during December 1965. So at the end of this 11-day period, they were both committed for trial at Chester Assizes which is now called, I believe, Chester County Court. So mm-hmm. this is where they were going to go. So they were they were held in jail until their trial. Do you know their relationship when they were like going through the trial? Like, were they still a couple? Were they like? Do you know how you hear about couples, like killer couples that turn on each other, like the West, for example? Like, mm-hmm. do you know? Were, do we know if they were still a couple through the trial? I believe they were. Okay. So yeah, there's nothing to say that they were separated or anything like that that I could find uh so I believe they were still writing to each other or trying to get notes to each other you know as they could but they were separated as in physically separated they could yeah, yeah, be yeah. with each other no I just wonder because you hear about that more often that the like, couples then like one of them turns so I was just wondering if like Myra or Ian had actually just like maybe one of them just was like nah get away so mm-hmm. thank you many of the photos that were taken by them both on the moor they featured Myra's dog puppet who I mentioned just a few minutes ago oh yeah yeah and it was the dog was also shown as a puppy so you could tell that it was quite you know a few months apart these deaths or whatever these photos were getting taken because the dog was growing up Mm -hmm. now detectives they arranged for the animal to be examined because they thought we'll be able to determine its age and then they would be able to date when the pictures were actually taken because then they'd be able to see well so-and-so went missing at this date, the dog's this age, this uh-huh. is what could have happened. So the examination involved an analysis of the dog's teeth. Right. But this required a general anaesthetic. So Puppet did not recover from this Aww. because he suffered from an undiagnosed kidney 
complaint. Oh. So Puppet died. Okay, and That's this is quite sad. It is really sad. So on hearing... I mean, all the deaths in our story is sad, but oh. 100%. This is very... Just want to clarify that every time we talked about someone dying, we don't actually say all, but yeah. we were actually really upset about the dog. <laughs> Just to no. clarify, we are sad about the people too. But this is the weird part, okay? So on hearing the news of Puppet's death, Myra became absolutely fuming, and she accused the police of murdering Puppet. Now, it's noted that this is one of the very few occasions that detectives witnessed any emotional response from Myra. Okay. I mean, also, the nicest way possible, right, she committed these crimes. Who did she expect to look after her dog? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, most of that time, like, back then, like, they'd just get put down. So, like, if she wanted to make sure her dog was looked after, she shouldn't have gone to jail. Yeah, she shouldn't have murdered little kids. Yeah. Um, Because it clearly was not the perfect crime that they were hoping for. No, no, clearly. In... Myra even wrote a letter to her mum after she had been told that her dog died. And this is what she said. I feel as though my heart's been torn to pieces. I don't think anything could hurt me more than this has. The only consolation is that some moron might have got hold of Puppet and hurt him. Like, I'm sorry, how could this hurt her? Uh, uh, (laughs) She's killed people. But she can kill, like, kids of Jesus. And especially the Leslie Ann Downey with the tape. Mm-hmm. Like she can withstand that, but her dog died during an operation, so ended its sleep. Jesus Christ, man! So that's crazy. This just sums She's up Myra. Off. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was like, I think for the people that are like, oh, I don't know if Myra was just like swept along by love. No, she clearly wasn't. That was an absolute mm-hmm. psychopath. Yeah, and the reason I haven't mentioned Ian as much is because he was kind of just, you know, not laying low, but he wasn't making a scene. Yeah, okay. unlike her. Mm-hmm. Now, despite all of the police's efforts, they were unable to find the bodies of two other missing children, and these were Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett. Now, you mentioned them in part one, and we yeah, yeah. know already that they had been murdered by Ian. I want to say and Myra, but so far we only believe it could just have been Ian, because Myra, she said she waited in the car. Now, there was no evidence to link them both to their disappearance so they couldn't charge them so they had to just prosecute them with the murders of Edward Evans, Leslie Ann Downey and John Kilbride. Okay so so they couldn't be charged. Now on the 27th of April 1966 Myra and Ian were brought to trial at Chester Court where they pleaded Mm -hmm. not guilty to all of the charges. Now throughout the whole trial which only lasted 14 days so you can tell when this sort of big trial only lasts 14 days yeah yeah there's a lot of either evidence or hate or well this is one of those ones where you know the whole of the country death by Mm -hmm. media shall we say but obviously they brought it on themselves in my personal opinion now throughout this whole trial they continued to blame david smith for everything now i don't know if it's the coward's way out because of this, it made the public hate them even more because they just would not admit to anything. And at no time during the whole of the trial did either of them show any remorse for their crimes. They didn't show any sorrow towards the families of their victims who would have came to trial. And 
they just appeared cold and heartless. Now, if you hadn't done these murders and you were getting charged for them, I think you would show some emotion. Yep. And anyway, they kept protesting their innocence. They were like, we have not done this. In the end, Ian Brady was found guilty of the murders. Leslie Ann Downey, John Corbide and Edward Evans. And he got charged with three life sentences. So he was to be practically life in prison, okay? Mm-hmm. And Myra Hindley was found guilty of the murders of Leslie Ann Downey and Edward Evans and found guilty for harbouring Brady in the knowledge that he had killed John Kilbright. Now, we're mm-hmm. in April 1966, okay? Mm-hmm. They both escaped the death penalty by only a couple of months. Because the death penalty had been abolished at the end of 1965. So it was the Murder Abolition of the Death Penalty Act 1965. It had just come into effect four weeks before their arrest. Oh, wow. So they either dodged a bullet or, you know. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe this was the best thing for them, life in prison. Now, like you asked earlier, um, were they still a couple? And I said, yes. So Ian and Myra, they continued for the first few years of their imprisonment. Again, they're completely separated, but they constantly wrote to each other and they even requested permission to marry one another. Okay. So they were, you know, I don't want to say stronger than ever, but they were mm-hmm. keeping in touch. However, after a couple of years, a rift developed between them both. And, you know, they were just gradually stemming away from their differing responses to their incarceration. So they stopped chatting together. And Ian, he quickly accepted his sentence. So his guilt, he just settled into life in prison, you know. Mm -hmm. He he didn't show much guilt and he was like yeah well I deserve this but Myra she still was properly saying she was innocent she kept claiming that it was Ian and that it was David and they were both responsible for the murders so completely yeah she's just not accepting it yeah she's having none of it right and she's just she got a life sentence as well she never got three times a life sentence. She got a full-on life sentence, which was about 30 years. Okay. Now, immediately after she had been sentenced, she began her appeal process. Mm-hmm. So she was getting an assistance from Long- Lord Longford. And she was like, right, I am, I'm innocent. It's like, right, you've just been charged for 30 years. Give yourself a rest and maybe try in a couple of years' time. But no, she was completely, this was not me. Whereas Ian was, right. Let's just settle into prison life. Mm-hmm. Now, she was ad- denied the, the right of appeal loads and loads of times, okay? So she All was right, sentenced okay. in 66. She tried practically every single year. She was in 1970, Jeez. it got denied. Even in 1980, 19... Like, it always got... Just denied, rejected. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, seven years later, so it was more than 10 years after she had been imprisoned so this is seven years after her and Ian have practically broken up shall we say Mm -hmm. Myra began a campaign to win her freedom again and 
she compiled a 20,000 word document in which she portrayed herself as innocent and she was a victim of Ian's manipulative personality. She kept, for the whole of these 10 years, she kept continuing saying her original story, it was Ian. Now, she said that he was blackmailing her, he was holding her, like, she, he had videos of her and, you know, pictures of her naked and, like, if, it, if she was to ever say anything mm. or put him into prison, he would just show everything. So, like, that, that was her fight. Anyway, she, kept, she got, kept getting denied parole for years and years and years. Now, prior to her finishing this 20,000-word document, okay, in 1978... Mm-hmm. Ian made his first public statement. So this is years after he was be- he was imprisoned and been given his sentence. But you know the public they still know about them because Myra keeps going on and on and on. So the limelight is always on her. So obviously it's then going to be brought in to him. Like people aren't going to forget him. So his statement, he declared that he did not intend to apply for parole, as he okay. quote accepted the weight of the crimes both Myra and I were convicted of justifies permanent imprisonment regardless of expressed personal remorse and verifiable change. After he made this short statement, he practically just disappeared from public view. His mental state really began to deteriorate. He suffered from visual and auditory hallucinations and mm-hmm. he also believed that the Home Office were trying to kill him. So he was really losing his mind and kind of going a bit mental. Years on, I, I read as well, like, Myra's parole was delayed further in 1982. She was heard in 1985, 20 years since the, she was imprisoned. But it got rejected and again and again. Like, none of the Home Office or the Home Secretary wanted to be that guy to say, right, you you can come out on parole, you know? Yeah, um, definitely, of course. Because you don't want to be that one that wants to do that. The European Court of Human Rights rejection on Myra's case as inadmissible so they were like no we're not doing it but in 1968 it was probably the final confirmation for her you know Mm -hmm. she was like right okay I get it I can't keep claiming that I've not been involved in the murders it's just not working for me Mm -hmm. so at the end of 1986 a letter written by Keith Bennett's mother now this is the wee boy that hasn't been found or they won't say where he's been buried begging Myra to reveal what had happened to her son. Now, this letter that she wrote to Myra, it provided her with an inspiration for kind of a new set of tactics. She was like, right, well, clearly my appeals, they're just not working. Me writing all this words is not working. I even saw um, a documentary a couple of weeks ago that she, and there's been reports and stuff online if you want to look it up, that she had so many relationships while she was in prison with either other cellmates or prison mates and also some prison guards. Now, with mm-hmm. one of the prison guards, they were set in like a kind of, we're going to escape from prison. And I don't know if you've heard about this. I, I'm sure I got taught about it years ago as well, that 
the keys to the prison, she managed to um, mould them onto soap. And the guard that she was clearly having a relationship with posted them to the person who cuts keys. But it turns out they did it, it just got put through their letterbox. And that day that the key guy, you know, went into work and stuff, he had it, he put this unknown package that he did not know he was expecting on his desk. And who pops into his shop? A policeman not on duty. No. And he's like, I've just had this package through my door. I'm pretty sure it was around the time of, you know, was it the IRA and crazy times, you know, they were like, right, I'll open this for you. And it turns out it was keys. So it didn't work. She she couldn't escape. Oh, I was like, the world is against you. Thank you. <laughs> so that didn't work either. And she had so many relationships, but they were all just, you know, trying to escape in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to this letter. So she realised, change of tactics. Now, in the early 1987, Myra was making the front page of the news. Yet again, Ian's in the background going crazy. And she releases her full confession. Whoa. Yeah. You weren't expecting that one. No, it's not. Now, complete change of tactics. You know, she's just been claiming it was never her. She admits to both the knowledge of and the involvement in all five murders, including those of Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett. Although she continued to insist that she hadn't actually committed murder. So right. she's the knowledge of it, she's been involved, but she didn't commit it. Now, Ian's confession then followed shortly after. Mm-hmm. But he declined to offer any public statements of remorse. He was <sighs> just, he didn't want to be there. You know, he was just like, right, get on with it. But she yeah, was like, sure. right, I need this, people. These confessions were great because they confirmed the police's suspicion that the remains of Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett, they'd been buried somewhere in the moors. Neither Myra or Brady were able to pinpoint the exact locations. But Pauline's body was finally located on the 1st of July, 1987. And it was identified by her pink party dress. Okay. Which is over almost 30 years since she was killed. Her body was finally found. Now, Myra and Ian's accounts of the events leading up to Pauline's murder, they both correspond. So police are like, right, well, they match up. That's completely fine. We believe them. However, their descriptions of Myra's role in her death do not match up. So what they're saying is Myra says that she had tricked Pauline into coming with her to the moor by offering her some records if she would help Myra find that pesky glove of hers. That glove. Mm-hmm. And once they were on the moors, Ian arrived on his motorbike and went with Pauline to look for the glove and Myra waited in the car. So... She's saying that Ian had raped Pauline and cut her throat before returning to the car to get Myra to help him bury the body. However, Ian said that Myra was way more active in this whole thing, in which she even physically and sexually assaulted Pauline with Ian. All right. Now, this is 
awful news for the family, but obviously they found her body, so they can put her to rest and everything like that. But Keith Bennett's body was never found. And I believe it's still never been found. Myra's confession did give his family an indication of how he died. Myra lured him into the car, requested for assistance, loading the boxes, like you said in the first episode. And once at the moor, Ian took him down to a gully and raped him and strangled him and then buried him somewhere nearby. But they, they just don't. They don't know where and they can't find them. And I guess to find the body, they would have to dig up the whole moors. And you're talking miles and miles of digging. Yeah, yeah. It's just not going down. Also, Myra says that in Leslie Ann Downey's murder, she places herself away from the scene. At the moment of death, she claims that she's been in the bathroom and it was all Ian. But Ian then says, that's not true. You actually strangled her with your bare hands and I had nothing to do with it which Ian's version most closely corresponds with the audio tape that the 30 minute audio tape recording yeah, that yeah. the police found so you know I, I guess she's confessing things but it's not really yeah. working out for her because so obviously she confessed but then Myra's solicitor at the time thought right her chances of parole are going to be you know they're greatly enhanced you know she she has to show some remorse and then maybe she'll succeed but yeah yeah anyway it it didn't happen she she kept trying and trying and trying but nothing was happening she wasn't getting anything like even in 1997 she challenged the former home secretary to have a review and say like why have I not even had this chance but they're just like no we're having no, none of for it. sure. Yeah, good. Which is great because all of her, all of her challenges were unsuccessful. Now, during the nineties and earlier, like I said, that she only took part because she was bla- she you know being blackmailed by Ian. But they, now she's also starting to say that Ian drugged her. Now and threatened to kill her, and also threatened to kill her young younger sister Maureen. This is like again the only sort of time you you see or hear her having some emotion when the dog dies and when anyone kind of speaks ill of her sister Maureen. In two thousand and eight, there was a a documentary about you know Ian and Myra. It was broadcast mm-hmm. that Myra's solicitor Andrew McCuey he reported that she had said to him, "I ought to have been hanged. I deserved it." My crime was worse than Brady's because I enticed the children and they would never have entered the car without my role. I have always regarded myself as worse than Brady. Which is a big statement for her to make. Like, wow, she said that to her solicitor. um, Just not the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So even though she was trying to say she was innocent, she clearly knew she wasn't. Now, on the 15th of November 2002, Myra died due to bronchial pneumonia. At the time of her death, over 20 crematoriums refused to burn her body. There was a huge uproar in the country, but in the end, someone done it, and she was scattered in the moors. Right. Which is just mental. Anyway, she's dead. So, there we go. She served okay. prison for over 30 years, so, you know, she's done some time. Now, I'll stop talking about Myra, and I'll move on to Ian. Okay. 
So, like I mentioned earlier, Ian came to terms with his sentence. He didn't believe a public apology was required. He didn't want to show remorse. You know, I've said it all. Mm -hmm. I'll say it again. He did, however, translate information into Braille form. So he had a machine and he was um, typing up and making it into Braille. So this was his kind of way of being like, right, I'm not going to say sorry, but, you know, I'll start maybe doing something worth yeah, people's yeah. time in the end though the the police took the machine away from him because they were thought oh it could be made into a weapon it could harm himself it could harm some like anyone else because he was practically you know making braille out of bits of metal so it's quite a big machine. yeah now he even said that he'd offer to give a kidney to anyone who needed it you know he was like you can have my organs you can do this you can do that with them but all oh. of this was actually rejected he was not allowed oh. to do it because he's okay. he's a murderer, like he should have no right yeah, yeah, to yeah. try and help someone. And they were just like, absolutely not. You're in jail. Get over yourself. Following his conviction, Ian was moved to Durham Prison, where he, where he actually asked to live in solitary confinement. Okay. So he he was clearly like he must have been really deeply either depressed or, you know, he had proper mental problems. But he was just he was having none of it. But he spent. 19 years in a mainstream prison like I think he went to a couple different ones I'm not completely sure so don't quote me on that one but after 19 years he was then declared criminally insane on November 1985 and he was sent to the high security Ashworth psychiatric hospital so he had since made it clear that he never wants to be released you know he was like right I'm in here for life and he he was Mm-hmm. he was insane so the trial judge he re- recommended that his life sentence should mean life and his successive home secretaries you know the ones that were refusing Myra to get out they all agreed with that decision so in 1982 the Lord Chief Justice Lord Lane he said this is a case if ever there's to be one when a man should stay in prison till he dies so mm-hmm. you know there was no they weren't getting special treatments or anything like that. Now, I read, this is a quote as well, not a quote, but kind of a bit from a review. And it was saying that in contrast to the common belief that serial killers often continue with their crimes until they're caught, which, you know, we you see that in a yeah, yeah. That, like pattern. Ian claimed in 2005 that the Moors murders were merely an existential exercise or just over a year which was concluded in December 1964 so you know he was like oh no it was just a bit of fun it was nothing like I'm not going to be continuing with this because by then he started to claim he and Myra actually we were then going to just turn our attention to armed robbery you know we Mm -hmm. had started beginning to prepare for it we started acquiring guns like you know how they went to the shooting ranges they started getting vehicles even before Myra could drive, as you said. God, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he was like, oh, no, this is just a bit of fun. It wasn't anything else, really. In 2001, Ian even wrote The Gates of Eunice, which it was a book, and it was published um, by a feral house, which was an underground US publisher. So his book actually got published, and it was, he analysed, it was like Ian's analysis of serial murder mm-hmm. and specific kind of serial killers. And when the UK like heard about this, they the Britain were completely outraged. They were like, how could this book have been published? 
like absolutely not so I don't know if it kind of took off let me just say now Winnie Johnson which was the mum of the undiscovered victim of Keith Bennett received a letter from Ian at the end of 2005 mm-hmm. now she claimed that he claimed he could take police to within 20 yards which is about 18 meters I'm not good at this whole you know measurement thing okay 18 meters of her son's body but the but the authorities would not allow it so he's saying oh, I could take there but I'm not allowed now Ian he didn't refer directly to Keith he didn't say him by his name and he didn't claim that he could take investigators directly to the grave but he spoke of the clarity of his recollections so he sent this woman a letter being like practically taunting her being like right I can take you to your dead son but I'm not gonna which is just awful that's so bad so yeah he's clinically insane he's shall we air quote keeping it on the down low but at the Mm. same time writing a book doing crazy things and sending letters to his victims' mothers. Now, in early 2006, prison authorities intercepted a package which was addressed to Ian from a female friend which was containing 50 paracetamol pills, which is potentially a lethal dose, you know, that you can kill yourself if you take them all at once. But this was hidden inside a hollowed-out crime novel, which was also... So they were all in smarty tubes that had then been put in this book and then close it up so he was clearly he he did not want to live now i also read um the death of john straffen who he had spent 55 years in prison for a triple child murder so he died in november 2007 this meant that ian he became the longest serving prisoner in england and wales so he was you know breaking world records and all that jazz but yeah. he he was actually in there for life which me personally I think great because life should mean life when it's something yeah, like 100%. this mm-hmm. you know when it's something severe so he he remained incarcerated in Ashworth and in 1999 he started to be force fed because all right yeah yeah so from 1999 up until date of death shall we say sorry spoiler alert if you didn't know already he's dead very he was, good he was force fed through a tube because um he he went on a hunger strike he was just completely going off of it he he wanted to die but they were like absolutely not you know and this is a quote from him as well because of this he said Myra gets the potentially fatal brain condition whilst i have to fight simply to die i have had enough i want nothing <laughs> My objective is to die and release myself from this once and for all. So you see, my death strike is rational and pragmatic. I'm only sorry I didn't do it decades ago, and I'm eager to leave this cesspit in a coffin. All right. So he's rather angry. He doesn't like Mm -hmm. living. This was in 1999, so, you know, three years later, Myra died and got away with it. So he's like, oh, why can't I be her, you know? (laughs) Ian Brady died on the 15th of May 2017 and he died of a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease so it, okay yeah, yeah it affects his lungs and apparently it was a very slow and kind of painful death and apparently five and a half hours before he died 
he was found to be laboured in his breathing and he was agitated. So, you know, he was having a hell of a time. Like, he was hating life. Before this, it was reported that a few days before he died, he pulled out his his feeding tube. You know, he was like, right, I'm, just get me out of here. Before he died, he had a wish that his solicitor take papers from a briefcase and that they don't open it until he does die and in these papers he wished for his ashes to be scattered on the moors next to his victims no yes now there was a like i hope they just said no well i remember it he he died in 2017 it was all over the news and there was a huge yeah i remember actually everywhere refused to cremate him like I'm sure they were asking up and down the country and people were like absolutely yeah, not yeah I, I do remember this actually I completely forgot but I remember yeah. it because everyone was like absolutely no 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 so in the end he was secretly cremated and he was buried at sea so they waited his urn and they chucked him off someplace off of Liverpool apparently so he's deep in the ocean Very good. but he's been cremated so that is the story of the Moors murders. Do you have any thoughts and feelings towards it? Because obviously it's a huge one in the UK and like everyone knows about it. Even we learned about it when we were younger and it was in the 60s. Yeah, I feel like the Moors murder is one that's the one that's always been around. Like I don't mm-hmm. like I don't know anyone that's not done it and even people that aren't into true crimes like you say to them like oh we're going to do the Moors and everyone's like oh yeah like or they ask when we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah I have a lot of feelings about it I think they were both as evil as each other um, yeah and I think both their deaths like I don't feel anything towards that I mean I think it was absolutely horrendous and when you think back to like how easy it was to do back then do you know what I mean whereas yeah. in comparison to now like none of that could be done do you know mm-hmm. even if a woman stopped nowadays to let you in your car yeah 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 for like, sure uh no no, exactly. I'm not getting in your car. Yeah, one um, one. I don't. I want to say funny thing, but mm-hmm. uh, did you see a couple of weeks ago there was a a program on? So my brother's friend Laura, who's a who's a listener, thankfully. Anyway, Yay. she was saying <laughs> she was uh, watching this program, and it was about you know women incarcerated and things, and she was saying that Myra Hindley and Rose West were actually friends in prison. Shall we say? Mm-hmm. female friends maybe closer than that you but can say the word lesbians <laughs> no i no i don't think they were because myra actually in the end said that she detested rose because she disagreed with what she did because she murdered her own children she was like, i can't believe she did that that's too far right that, that's too far <laughs> yeah don't know the kids fine know the kids too far yeah if, yeah if you're related to them by blood not at all but you know if it's your sister's best pal <laughs> completely just kill them so that was quite funny i think um myra is just as much to blame if not more as well because she egged them on if anything as well so yeah no definitely she did this crime's the one that i think in the uk you knew about it from some, such a young age and i think it's what maybe fascinates people with it because i think i still to this day even after doing this podcast and it there's so many parts i still don't understand like, I don't get why, like, how they could do it. Like, her reaction to the dog, but she can kill kids. Like, I suppose that's the thing with, like, certain serial killers. It's very difficult to understand, and some of us never will, really. 